What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another edition of Running with War Media. I'm your host tonight. My name is Gabriel Wilkins, and I'm blessed to be in the building with my guys, my partners in crime, my man up above me, Josh Hicks. Um, you know him in the scope, you know, podcast, got it going on, Josh M. Hicks. Dot com Joshua M. Hicks.com. You can follow his blog there. And my man Chris Pennant, co-host of the Skyhook Podcast with James K. How y'all doing tonight? You see it, man. Shout out St. Ignatius for getting these White Sox hats last week. My mom, this wasn't the networking that she was talking about, but it at least looks cool. <laughs> That's what's up, man. How you feeling, Josh? Chris always come through with the gems, man. Chris always comes through with the gems. I love it. But I'm I'm good. I'm good. Hope I hope you guys, even though y'all you guys aren't fathers per se. I hope you guys had a good Father's Day weekend. And Juneteenth, especially. That's why I got my Black Lives Matter shirt on because we know we it's you know that was our day where we say it's about us. So I'm bringing that to the show because it's about us. One hundred always. You know that. Got a lot to talk about today, man. First and foremost, want to say rest in peace to Caleb Swanigan and uh, salute to Morgan Cato for becoming the first woman of color um, to be named an assistant general manager of the NBA team. Just got hired by the Phoenix Suns um, at the top of the week yesterday afternoon. Uh, but we got a lot to talk about, man. Got a lot to get into, starting with these uh, NBA finals that just concluded last week where, you know, the Golden State Warriors reestablished their reign atop of the NBA, you know, despite failing to gain control of the series through the first three games. Um, the Warriors will prove to be at their best with their backs up against the wall as the Western Conference champions won three games in a row to lay claim to yet another Larry O'Brien trophy. Stephen Curry averaged the series best, 31.2 points, six rebounds, and five assists, shooting 48% from the field to help the franchise by the bay Captured their fourth NBA championship in the last eight years against the Boston Celtics in six games. All the while capturing finals MVP for the first time in his career as the 6'2 guard out of dancing would cap off the year scoring a game high 34 points and dishing out seven dimes to guide the Doves to a 103 to 90 win against the Boston Celtics to seal the deal on Thursday night last week out in Beantown. So with all of that said, um, after the Warriors hosted their championship parade yesterday afternoon um, on Market Street in downtown San Francisco, um, do you guys see Golden State as the early favorite to win yet another um, championship and go back to back in 2023? Um, according to the odds makers, you know, in Caesar Sportsbook, they got a Golden State at 5-1 odds to win. So if you're looking for a surefire bet right now, that's what it's looking like. Um, but – I'm going to kick it off with you, Josh, and ask you first, what's your thoughts on that? Um, do you think they got what it takes to repeat and run it back? Well, you can never go get, go against my, my cousin. You can't go against my cousin. This is what we do, baby. We win. <laughs> we win. So, so, of course, I can't go against Stephen Curry and the Golden State Warriors, man. But listen, I, I don't know if they are the uh, – they, they, I mean, they have every right to be the favorites, right? They repeated mm -hmm. and bring everybody back. Um, and with reports of them pretty much doing whatever it takes to bring back Jordan Poole and um, Andrew Wiggins on extended con uh, contract extensions, you know they're securing their base long term. And if they don't, if they're not the favorites right now, they're going to be in the top favorites to win the finals. All because not just because of, of the nucleus that they have in bringing, uh, you know, bringing back how healthy nucleus with Draymond Green, Stephen Curry, and Klay Thompson, but it's the role players. This is the deepest bench the, the Warriors have had probably since their first championship. And for them to have a growing Jordan Poole, for them to have a growing Andrew Wiggins, for them to have a growing Jonathan Kaminga, who has who didn't play much in that final series, but he's on the rise. Um, yeah. And that doesn't even include Moses Moody, who they have as a scoring, point, a scoring guard off the bench too. You know, so they have a nice young core of nuclear, of young core nucleus off the bench that is strong, if not stronger, than their first run in the first championship. So I think knowing that that, that is going to be there, along with championship experience now, because they now know what it takes to win a championship, I think that only just aids the field that much more to now where Stephen Curry and, the, and, and, that, and that side of the crew, the veterans of the crew, you know, they're looking at it as in, yeah, we got another championship. They may feel rejuvenated their, their champions again. But this young group is coming up saying, we want more now because we know what it takes. We got that first sweep. That first taste, it's like the first time having mama's mama's great pound cake. 
You know, it's just, <laughs> it, 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 you know, it, when, she, when she makes it just right, you know, you, your, your, you get your taste buds, just taste the lemon and the seven up and the, and the pound cake. And you start licking your chops and you're like, mm, I can't get enough of this sweetness. I gotta have me another slice. Is that's that's what this young core is bringing to the table? What the Golden State Warriors could bring on us, Stephen Curry, uh, Clay Thompson, Draymond. They're saying we want more of this. I mean, y'all know how to get us there, so let's go back. So with having that under their belt and that fire underneath their belt, I can't. You can't help but look at the Golden State Warriors as the favorites next year, or if not the favorites, for sure the top, one of the top favorites to bet on because they have everything that they need and more to build on for next year. I feel you. What's your thoughts on that, Chris? Uh, Josh made a bit of a, of a coincidental slip earlier when he said nuclear, because I think that's the capability that Golden State has. As he said, Kaminga didn't get a, a lot of chance to play. James Wiseman didn't get a lot of chance to run this year. Yeah. And those guys will be coming back next season. And of course, everything has to stay, you know, the team has to stay healthy. Things have to stay aligned for them. But the Warriors have shown in the past and now in the present that they can overcome obstacles. And they have the same three guys going who got them there to this level in the first place. Draymond Green, Klay Thompson, and Stephen Curry, and Steve Kerr uh, manning the helm. And even even if Steve doesn't do the the heavy lifting uh, because he was out for a good amount of time while Mike Brown was was running things on the bench for the Warriors. And, and we've seen that in the past with Luke Walton when he did the same. He's the guy that I think just keeps holds everything together. He's the glue of this team in a similar fashion the way that he was on previous Bulls and Spurs teams. And they've got to be favorites. That being said, I think they're able challengers to the to the Warriors in the West and the East, not least of all, which are the Memphis Grizzlies who gave them a good run before John Morant got hurt. And as people have have, have talked about, not to discount the Warriors, they have, like any champion, have had some luck when it's come to their finals runs uh, in terms of teams who might've had a, a key player get injured or just some bad luck of their own. And the Grizzlies really looked like they were gonna knock the Warriors off the top when they were in that series, even without job, they just did not have the guns to keep up with them in game six. So if there's anything that I can say where the Warriors could be a betting favorite and betting favorites, we all know the Cubs were a high betting favorite for a long time before they ever got close to winning a world series, mm -hmm. just because Vegas likes to keep that money, that money flowing. For sure. <laughs> the Grizzlies are somebody who can take on the Warriors. Boston, we saw somebody who can take on the Warriors. They need to figure some things out with themselves. And hopefully our hometown Bulls will be making a run for that, for that top spot as well within the next season or two. But right now with what they've shown, sure the Warriors are the favorite. There's no doubt about that. I'm glad you actually bought up Memphis um, because one team I had in mind being a big-time challenger to the Warriors reign the top of the West going into next season and I thought about him immediately after the final buzzer sounded uh, last Thursday night in Boston was Los Angeles Clippers. But mm. with, with those, with, with Kawhi Leonard, a healthy Kawhi Leonard returning to the mix, with Paul George or Reggie Jackson in the fold who won't have to carry as much of a significant offensive load as he did this previous season, with those two back in the mix, they re-signed Rob Covington, granted Nicholas Batum, um, declined his player option today, and we'll get into that later, you know, among a, a bevy of other offseason chatter um, and, and rumors and reports that have been circulating over the last 24 hours. But you brought up Memphis, and I want to stick with them for a moment because, as we know, Draymond and John Moran been, you know, back and forth on, on, on the Twitterverse, you know, talking a little trash here and there, talking about, you know, um, pull up to the trenches and whatnot like that. And, um Draymond saying the real estate in Boston, you know, was much more um, expensive. So they had to, you know, sell what they had in Memphis and whatnot. Is that a matchup that you think Memphis is ready to, to fully handle? Granted, I know, you know, John Moran got hurt, but it's some things that, you know, some roster moves that they're going to seek to make. You really, you really think Memphis got a legit chance to get into the finals next year after just making some noise? Granted, albeit they've been in the playoffs back-to-back -back seasons now after going to the play-in um, through the first couple of years of John Moran's career. You think they got the noise to be a, a, a sleeper pick to get to the finals, Chris? 
Who Memphis? Yeah, most yeah. definitely. Okay. They're, they're they're not in this. They're not similar, you know, t- to compare to uh, the early 2010s uh, Oklahoma City Thunder. But in terms of being that up and coming rising star team with a young budding superstar and a lot of able talent around them, yeah, that's a Memphis team that is going to be trouble. They they showed all season. I, they had the most wins. They had the best record in the West or the second best record in the West for the season, right? They were the yeah. number two seed in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And they had guys who were in and out of the lineup with injury. Desmond Bain has shown that he is, I hate the term 3 and D, but he is a very, very, very good 3 and D player. I think he's a very good basketball player who is a great second option to Ja. Uh, a healthy Ja can take you just about anywhere you want to go, along with Jaron Jackson Jr. In fact, those three are a, a, a combination that any team would absolutely love to have. Tyus Jones is, is solid. Dylan Brooks is solid. And Memphis is, you know, is for a small market team, they have a leadership group that knows how to put together a winning ball club when the time is right. So I think because of that, because they've got the young horses around them, because they they showed in the playoffs that they know what, what it takes to stand up to a big time team and, you know, not just in one game, not just surprise them in one game, but to really give them a run for it. That's why I think the Grizzlies are the top challenger. In terms of, of the Clippers, they can't depend on Kawhi just because Kawhi has a degenerative condition. His his play, we've I think we've seen the peak of his play. Mm-hmm. And that's unfortunate for, for the NBA, for the Clippers, for all of us. But I just, sorry, I got some fruit flies in here or something. <laughs> we've seen the best Kawhi has to offer. He will be a solid NBA player, but he won't ever be as good as he was in 2019 or 20, uh, 2015 or 16. So that's why it's hard to say that the Clippers are going to be able to to challenge in the same way because they're depending on a player who who won't be able to play 70, 70 or 72 games in a season consistently. I, I get what you're saying there. I mean, I I don't want to write on Kawhi just yet, though, man. I mean, we he's he's proven before when he's coming off of injuries that, you know, he's capable of having a, a, a solid year. Granted, I don't expect him to play – 75 plus games if, if he plays 65 plus games you would take that as a plus i'm pretty sure if you're lawrence frank in the clippers front office but i i i, I could see memphis being one of the, the picks in the west or one of those sleeper teams in the west that catapults their way from a, a western conference semifinals appearance last year into the nba finals but i also could see phoenix you know getting there it's a lot of talks you know about them maybe wanting to trade deandre Ayton. it's looking like a surefire thing that's going to happen but who they bring in as a third star no one knows at this point but you got to consider them considering that they had the best record in all of basketball last season in spite of how you know the season ended with a rough second round exit um at the hands of luka Doncic and the dallas mavericks uh who's your dark horse team you know to be a threat to the warriors josh i mean you got Chris saying Memphis. I done said the Clippers out west. It could be be a team out east. Who you think you know gonna have a, a, a say in whether or not the Warriors um are able to repeat and accomplish their goal of winning a fifth championship in the in the last nine years come twenty twenty three? I'm gonna I'm gonna stay in the Western Conference and I'm gonna bring up the Denver Nuggets just because okay. Denver um they did not have Jamal Murray this year. They didn't have Michael Ward Jr. this year. And they still, even though they uh, lost in five games, or pretty much, I think either five games or they got swept by the Warriors. They lost in five. They lost in five. You know, in a lot of ways, they still was very competitive with Jokic running the show and being the main superstar out there. Now you're about to have your main core, your main core guys come back. Hopefully, with them not just being healthy, but obviously improving their games as as, as well. That's going to be a tough out for 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 uh for the Golden State Warriors to, to deal with, not just in the backcourt but the front court as well. Um, when you can get, you know, Jokic was great this year. You put him with in a pick and roll situation or pick and pop situation with you know Jamal Murray or have Jokic being a point guard facilitating with Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. on the wings. That's that's going to be kind of hard to defend, and that's going to be a challenge for the Warriors that they're going to have to uh, be prepared for. And it's going to be, and that's why the Warriors, especially if they're facing a team like them, they need to have a healthy James Wise. They need to have a health, uh, a healthy Jonathan Kaminga. They got to be able to have those guys to come full throttle, ready to roll, because that's a lot of bodies they're going to need to fill to cover up that length 
and versatility that Denver brings to the table. And Michael Malone ain't no joke on that head on that on the coaching sidelines. He's gonna bring the deal too. He's he's gonna bring the reins. So the Warriors, you know, the West is gonna be a lot more harder, especially when you get all the four star players coming back from each of their teams, and based on what these teams do in this offseason. But Denver is a team to be on the lookout for, especially since you got a, a, a reigning MVP in Jokic. You know that's gonna he's gonna make some noise next year, especially with all of his guys coming back. That's Denver's not gonna is gonna be a team that you that you're not gonna want to mess with. Denver Denver is definitely a team that's gonna be interesting to watch, and it, it's so funny to think about it because it's a lot of teams in the NBA this year who weren't in full strength. You know, you bring up Denver, I could bring up the Pelicans. You know, you got a Zion returning, a healthy Zion Williamson returning to the mix who had a, a hell of a sophomore campaign prior to falling short of, a, of being able to return in time for this season due to some knee issues that he suffered in the offseason. I think for the first time with the NBA having a normal offseason calendar, guys being able to finally rest up and recover, come back whole next year, yeah, the stakes are going to be much higher. And I, I, I can see Denver being a team that elevates – in the Western Conference standings because they finished sixth uh, overall in the West this year. And it was kind of amazing when you consider the fact that Jokic, as great as he was, was able to help them avoid the play-in round, uh, looking back at that. But the West is going to be interesting. The league is going to be interesting next year, as we know. But I want to move on uh, to the Boston Celtics, defending or the reigning Eastern Conference champions going into next season. Um, they hired Ime Udoka last summer shortly after Brad Stevens was named president of basketball operations to take over the reins as head coach. Um, the Celtics posted an 18 and 21 record through the first 39 games of the season, yet found a way to still turn their season around following a tough um, loss on the road at the hands of the New York Knicks at Madison Square Garden in January, winning 33 out of their last 43 games uh, to go from a fringe play-in team to a team that finished in the second spot in the Eastern Conference, swept the Brooklyn Nets in round one of the playoffs prior to knocking off the defending champion Milwaukee Bucks and overcoming a 3-2 deficit to defeat them in the Eastern Conference semis, advanced to the Eastern Conference finals, took down the Heat, winning three out of their four games on the road to do so in a classic seven-game series to advance to their first NBA Finals as a franchise since 2010, However, they fell short, as we know, to the Golden State Warriors in six games in their quest to try and get their 18th banner up above the TD Garden um, in their first since 2008. Jason Tatum was a first-team All-NBA selection, first Celtic since Kevin Garnett to accomplish that honor in 2008. Marcus Smart was the first defensive player of the year um, in Celtics, for the Celtics since Kevin Garnett that same year, 2008, who led the Celtics to the title. We know Jalen Brown, you know, he showed up, showed out in the NBA Finals in spite of all the, you know, criticism about his ball handling, average the team, best 23 and a half points a night. Um, what moves do you guys think that the Celtics need to make in order to get back to the NBA Finals? Uh, you know, this was a team that peaked at the right time. Things were looking very bleak for this franchise, man. And uh, you, you had a lot of people saying – how can Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum coexist? Well, they proved they proved that um, that they can coexist, and they they got to the finals appearance. Future's looking bright, but we know that championships and getting to the finals year after year is never guaranteed. What's your thoughts, Josh? What, what moves do you think they need to make, man, in order to get over that hump um, and, and to at least get back there um, to defend their throne, the top of the Eastern Conference, in spite of not getting the gold ball? I think it's two. I think there's two things that they have to pay attention to. One of them is Jason Tatum has to continue to emerge as not just a scorer but a playmaker. Uh, when he's been more of a facilitator on the offensive end and playing with his playmaking ability, the Celtics had better opportunities to score. And on top of that, it actually made Jalen Brown's job easier to put the ball in a bucket, which got him going um, throughout that series. So I think if Jason Tatum, especially when his game is not on, becomes more of a facilitator and playmaker. Um, that will make the offensive flow that much easier for the Celtics come down the stretch, and, and not just in regular season games, but especially in the postseason. So I want to see Jason Tatum continue to develop in that area to help take the Boston Celtics to that extra, uh, that take that extra leap. But they got to get a point guard. They got to get a true point guard 
that not, maybe that, that doesn't necessarily have to score the ball offensively, but at least maintain the flow of the game, control the pace, don't turn up limits turnovers. The Boston Celtics in the finals alone committed 97 turnovers. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of turnovers for a final series that you don't that you're willingly giving up for a team like the Golden State Warriors to capitalize on, which we know they did and have capabilities of doing that. So they need to be able to find someone that can facilitate the ball while also maintain control the pace and limit turnovers on the offensive end. I, obviously, I like Marcus Smart. He's he's a great you know he's reigning defensive player of the year, well deserving of the uh, of the award. But you know, to, but he's not a true point guard per se. He doesn't run an offense. He doesn't know how to uh, limit the turnovers that may come with that. If I'm the Celtics right now, I don't know all the point guards that are available this offseason. But I know one point guard that I think would be a good fit for them is if they go after Indiana Pacers guard Malcolm Brogdon. If they can bring Malcolm Brogdon to the to the Boston Celtics, he is he's a solid point guard that doesn't turn over the ball much. He can help. He can facilitate running an offense. And he's very good at being a spot-up three-point shooter and being, aim, being able to create for others in that, with, in that flow, which is easy for uh, Boston Celtics because they have two guys that can create their own jump shots at, at pretty much wherever on the court. So I think Malcolm Brogdon would bring the balance that the Celtics need, not just offensively, but defensively as well. He may not be the best defender like Marcus Smart is, but he is a solid perimeter defender and is known for his defense. And to combat that with his three-point shooting, an ability to fit within a, within any type of offense and be able to be a solid player in the process, that is someone I think Boston should at least look out going after because clearly Malcolm Brogdon's on the trade block right now and the Pacers are feeding in those offers. I will see if I can get if I can snatch him up if I can. I never even thought about Brogdon to tell you the truth, Josh. I, I know Jalen Brunson was a guy that I had my eyes on being the ideal fit for them in that position, but when you bring up Brogdon, that's an interesting fit because, as you said, he can play the one and he can also play the two and serve as, a, as an off-ball threat, uh, catch and shoot specialist if need be, if necessary. I, I wouldn't mind that move for them. They definitely got to get a guy in there, and plus he can start uh, yeah. right away. He's not a guy that you just bring in as just a, a complimentary piece. He can carry your lineup if need be if uh, one of your main two guys and Brown and Tatum go down. But what's your thoughts, uh, Chris, on, on the Celtics? You know, what? What do they got to do, man, to get over this hump and eventually get back to the NBA Finals and prove that they're a team that's learned from their lessons um, this past season to eventually bring back Banner 18 to Beantown? I, I think there's some there's a lot of truth to what Josh said, uh, mainly in having Tatum play more off the ball. I think he had a, a good amount of those turnovers that Josh was talking about in the series, and he's at his best – when he's a low shot clock threat um, or when he gets in the right matchup one-on-one, obviously he and Brown uh, can both shoot it from the outside. That's what we saw in the series against Miami, especially that last game against Miami. But I think having Tatum play a little bit more off the ball helps the Celtics out more. And and Marcus Smart isn't a prototypical point guard of of today, but he's still an able point guard. And the way that the the Celtics share the ball he doesn't necessarily need to be the typical point guard of today. So it's it's funny. I don't know what they necessarily need to do that much. You've got to um, – you might have to find a, somebody to, to back up Al Horford or to, like, share more time with him since last year is the final option year of his deal. But honestly, I, I don't necessarily see what they need to do in, in general – just to get back to the finals. They've got pretty much everybody set. They don't have to worry too much about – uh, contracts in the offseason, nobody is going into a free agency year. Well, uh, Grant Williams is on the final year of his rookie deal. And like I said, Al Horford is in the option year of his contract. But pretty much everybody else in their main rotation is set. So I think they can run it back and just fix the mistakes that they made. Those They had two seven-game series. So if you cut a couple of those games out, they've got more energy going into that championship series. And that's something that comes with experience, in my opinion. Uh, the Celtics got to this point, not with these same guys, but they got to that conference finals against uh, Cleveland. What year was that, where they took them to seven games? And so that was only four years ago when those guys were still very young. So this is the natural next step in their evolution. They had injuries to deal with. They weren't ready up for it in the bubble of the year after that. 
but this is pretty much what we expected to see from the Celtics from those from their top two and the core that they built with Smart and uh, and uh, the Williams boys, uh, Grant Williams and the Time Lord. So I honestly don't think the Celtics have to make too many moves with Brad Stevens being in the best spot for him, which is player personnel gathering talent, not necessarily coaching it because Ime Udoka proved that he can lead a team. So I I don't want to upset the balance of chemistry. They might have to deal with some disease of more, but I, I don't think that they have a lot of that to, to worry about. It's interesting, you know, as you alluded to, Chris, how and you see our names at the bottom. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow us at those following handles there, as you see. Um, it's interesting that you bring up how everybody's under contract and for the most part their roster is intact. But as Josh was alluded to where, you know, Tatum was playing off the ball, you got a lot of people out here who are saying, well, you know, Tatum's a max player. Jalen Brown's a max player. These guys are two. They make they consist of arguably two of the top 20 players in the league. There have been teams that have won NBA championships without traditional point guards. We're familiar with one of those teams having come up in Chicago with the Bulls in the 90s. Another team you can say that won a championship without a traditional point guard and went back to back in South Beach was the the 2012 and 2013 Miami Heat as well as uh, 2011-12 Miami Heat with LeBron was pretty much running de facto point guard, although Mario Chalmers was technically listed and labeled as the point guard for those teams. What would your response be to people, and I, I pose this to both of you guys, what would your response be to people, Josh, who say, well, why do they need a traditional point guard when you got Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, two of the top 20 players in the league, both can get a bucket off the dribble and create off the dribble and get their own shots. Why do you need a traditional point guard when those guys are supposed to be able to do their job? Granted, yeah, they did turn the ball over 97 times, as you alluded to, which I think cost them a shot at winning a championship this year. And that was a recurring theme in a lot of their losses. When they kept the turnovers down to like 15 or less, they typically won more often than they didn't. When they had 16 or more, it was usually a recipe for disaster. But what's your thoughts on that, man? Because you got a lot of people out here saying, well, you know, Jason Tatum needs to learn how to play against a double team and not be so afraid, you know, when a double team comes and just gives up the ball and panics. You know, what, what would your solution be? Uh, what would your answer be to people that say that? Because you got a lot of people that think that, like, well, they don't need no point guard. Well, I'll say this. There is some truth to Jason Tatum uh, being that, being the face of that franchise, having to play up to the level that he is currently confident in. That is, there is truth to that. He has to take his growing pains just like everybody else. But uh, last time I checked, they said the same thing about Devin Booker, and then they brought Chris Paul along and they made the finals. True. Chris Paul's a traditional point guard. Last time I checked, he's actually the point guy, as we call them. So <laughs> the thing that made Chris Paul special with Devin Booker was Devin Booker's honestly is in the same situation as Jason Tatum was. It's just that Chris Parker showed him the ropes on what it means to mature in his game and actually knew how to be officially a, be an effective point guard to help him develop and grow in his game so that when those two built that chemistry, it flourished on the court. When you bring some, when you bring a traditional point guard, that's what traditional point guards do first compared to regular or, or non-traditional point guards. Non-traditional point guards doesn't necessarily doesn't doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean they don't have point guard skills. It just means that certain skill sets are not as applicable in certain situations compared to what a traditional point guard brings to the table. And, and we both and we all know that comes very handy when it comes to when the game slows down and a half court set, especially come playoff time. When the game slows down, you're going to need someone that can facilitate an offense. They can run an offense, handle the pressure from, from the defender, and to be able to set guys up in the ways that they need to, to so they can help improve their teammates' opportunities of scoring. Boston has two primary, uh, premier top-scoring guards or forwards in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And, and like you said, Gabe, they both have shown they can score at elite levels in an NBA Finals matchup. The problem was when you look at the tape, some of it was forced. 
some of it was they had to find their way to they they had to like force their way to get a lot of shots or or they had to make a lot of difficult jump shots along the way where if you had a point guard like Chris Paul who was able to break down a defense but as well set the guys up correctly through the pick and roll or through set plays they it, I'm pretty sure those shots would have came a lot easier now some of that goes along with the coaching aspect of Emilio Doka and he was very good at doing that as well throughout the series but it's nothing like having a traditional point guard to make that job that much easier, which is a skill set for a championship contending team that you need down the stretch. And I believe that's what specifically Boston would need right now. Because even though Marcus Smart fulfills the job, it doesn't necessarily get the job done when you're talking about looking for um, – uh, when, you, when you talk about going to taking the next leap with the two wing players, star wing players at that, that you have at the Boston Celtics do. Yeah, I'm going to pass it to you on this, Chris. Yeah, I'm going to let you get your thoughts before we move on to the next topic. Yeah, just at at the risk of turning this into crossfire because I do not want to be an ESPN morning show. I disagree just because Devin Booker was the guy. He was pretty much the guy in Phoenix uh, when Chris Paul came through. There's no disrespect to DeAndre Ayton. He just wasn't a fully formed product and still isn't a fully formed product. But -hmm. they had Devin Booker who was – damn near the Phoenix offense by himself. Uh, Boston doesn't necessarily have that. They've got Smart who can put the ball in the basket now. His his Achilles heel was his three-point shooting a couple seasons ago, and he's greatly improved upon that. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, we know what they can do putting the ball in the basket. Robert Williams is an elite defender um, in the paint. Um, out at the perimeter, he's very solid, and he's a guy who can get to the dunker spot, catch a lob, or um, if he adds a couple of post moves, you know, that's a, that's an if that's an if, but you could turn him into a, a solid, a solid guy down low. Nobody's going to be a Shaq type big man anymore, but if you, if you do what you, if you do what Jordan and Kobe did, add a wrinkle to your game every season, then the Boston subjects can improve. And that's why I don't necessarily think, even if this isn't the bulls of the nineties, I don't think they necessarily need a traditional point guard because of the way they can share the ball. Steph isn't a traditional point guard by any means, even though he is a solid, very competent distributor and passer. But he's a guy who comes down and the defense keys on him and he draws attention. Right. And that's where he can move the ball around. And then the Warriors are con- are con- competent at moving the ball, whereas Draymond Green might have been their primary guy to get people, get the ball and get, the, get people the ball in the right spots. So I think that's something that Boston can do without necessarily having a point guard in the traditional mode that we've come to expect over the last 50, 60 years of professional basketball. I agree, because one thing about it, it's hard to find traditional point guards in this day and age. It's only really a select few. You're talking maybe left in the league, probably like John Wall, Chris Paul, Ray John Rondo. But either way, um, I think it'll be a very interesting offseason in Boston. And I think that they built a a solid foundation for sure where they put themselves in a nice position to um, at least get back. I think that this is a a valuable learning experience for Tatum, a guy that won a gold medal uh, last summer and getting the chance to go to the NBA finals and play on that stage. I I, I definitely think this is something he'll learn from. A lot of people will rip him up all summer long because of the way he played in in the finals, specifically in game six only scoring about 13 points in that game. But at the end of the day, you you can't argue against um, his talent as well as Brown's talent. I believe that Brad Stevens, while he has his job um, cut out for him and his work cut out for him, he'll figure out a way to get the job done. But I want to move away from the two teams that started this year's NBA Finals to some NBA offseason chatter prior to the draft and free agency on the horizon. According to Shams of the Athletic, Nets and seven-time All-Star Kyrie Irving are at an impasse in regards to some contract talks surrounding his future in Brooklyn. Um, as sources are indicating that the 2016 NBA champion could consider the open market should the two sides not be able to come to an agreement on a new contract extension. He for PJ Tucker has opted out of his contract next year um, for $7.4 million to enter the free agency market. Um, at the top of next month as well, according to Shams, is it's being reported that several championship contenders are expected to buy for the services of the former Texas standout. The Bulls have also been linked to him, according to Matt Moore of Action Network, and according to Matt Moore of Action Network again, as well as former NBA ESPN insider Mark Stein. 
reports are indicating that more than likely or not that there is a league-wide expectation that Rudy Gobert's next team is the Chicago Bulls, is the three-time NBA All-Star Center and Defensive Player of the Year, appears to be officially on the trade block um, out in Salt Lake City. So with all of that, what are your thoughts? We're going to get into, you know, the Bulls, of course, with Rudy Gobert and that news because that that's some big news out the city and a lot of people are having mixed reactions to that as well. Um, what are your thoughts on the latest news to emerge across NBA channels over the last 24 hours? We know Nick Batum opted out of his deal, even though it's some expectations that him and the Clippers will come to an agreement of, uh, of some sort uh, by the end of free agency on a new deal. Uh, if my my reaction, <laughs> my reaction when my guys posted this first is I, I thought it could work and may and at the same time I wouldn't necessarily like it just because Rudy is such a clown to me <laughs> like and it's weird because that that doesn't have a lot to do with basketball right so chemistry is, is important but when your man has to miss a game because his bees stung him that that was a lot when your man not to mention all of the stuff with the microphones at the beginning this man wasn't the cause of the outbreak but he sure didn't help and so there's something to be said for that for a, for this bulls team that's still trying to find its footing as a as a playoff contending championship contending team as their stated intention is you want to keep stuff on the court and i don't necessarily know if rudy's a guy who will keep things on the court and for everything that everybody has told me about his on-court ability on the offensive end, I think there's better fits for him to run in the pivot. Um, I won't I won't give away the name now since we're just discussing him, but I think there's better options for the white for the for the Bulls to have um, at the five position. So, as much as I think it could work and be beneficial, I wouldn't make the move. What's your thoughts? So, I mean, well, me and Josh, we we done talked about this. I mean, we 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 know Rudy Gobert's contract, and it only goes up by the year. Like this is he getting Jokic type of money. So this this is a big commitment financially if the Chicago Bulls make this decision. Now I know Chris, you say you won't name names, but there are a ton of centers that could be had. DeAndre Ayton's one of them. Miles Turner is one of them. And that's my um, guy. Out of Indiana. I mean, it, it's a lot of it's a lot of centers. Clint Capella could even be had at a much lower price who offers the same type of skill set as a Rudy Gobert. However, I got a lot of questions about the Bulls trying to go after Rudy Gobert just from the way their offense plays from a stylistic standpoint. They don't run much pick and roll. Do you really think, Josh, that the Bulls should just open up the playbook for this guy. It's some positives now. I, I do want to say because when you think about the possibilities of a defense with Lonzo Ball, Alice Caruso in, in the backcourt, and Rudy Gobert protecting the rim, this ain't Utah where he had the worst perimeter defense in the league. He could help elevate the Bulls to a top five defense and make them legit. But there are so many questions around his offensive game I mean, what, what's your thoughts? I mean, I, we know how things can quickly change in the NBA. Yeah, it could be a league-wide expectation right now, but within the next 24 to 48 hours, matter of fact, within the next week or two, this could all change. Hell, Billy Donovan ain't going to have no choice but to open the playbook if you bring Rudy Gobert over here, man. He ain't got no choice. <laughs> yeah. What is Lonzo Ball going to do? Just try to break his man down isolation one-on-one -on -one like Zach Levine and Robert Rosen already do? Yeah. Like just to throw a lob? Like, no, that's not how that's not how this should fly. Rudy should be flying somewhere else, okay? He, we don't need to have that here in Chicago if he's gonna go if, if that's all we're going to do. But like you said, there's other options that fit to what the Bulls because outside of the positives of what we did mention, yes, he will elevate the Bulls defense tremendously. He'll be it will be the a, a huge rebounder for us. He'll be a huge uh defensive uh a paint a person in the paint. All of that is great, 
But what did what Arturus Cornelius and Mark Eversley said when they first got the job here in Chicago? That they wanted to make the roster versatile on both ends of the floor. Which means you need to have players that can play all, that can guard all, all positions on the court while also being able to contribute contribute to a Billy Donovan offense, which is more perimeter-esque on offensive end. Rudy Gobert does not do that. Unfortunately, he does not do that. He's more of a rim protector. He is more uh, and a rebounder. And offensively, he's in the post, which granted the Bulls need some of that from time to time, but if they try to do this pick-and-pop scenario, I don't expect Rudy Gobert to be shooting three, four, five, three-point three point attempts a night. Let alone make one of them. So that, if you're going to stick to that, Rudy Gobert does not fit from that perspective. But like you said, other guys do. Miles Turner. I would love Miles Turner to go from Indiana across, come across the Chicago. Please make that happen. I believe if you have that or if you have someone um, like maybe even a Mitchell Robinson from a free agency perspective, he even has a little bit more versatility and younger legs they can work with to work with. Like you mentioned, Clint Capella, he'll be good. I I just feel like if the Bulls are really sticking to the memo of being versatile on both ends of the floor, why would you go for someone that doesn't fit that? I just don't I, it just does not make sense if that's really what your MO is all about. If I understand trying to fill one void, but you're talking about paying Joker. Even Joker's plays better defense and offense than that. He can pay the same money as he is. I, I just don't see why would you take that big of a risk, hoping that maybe he develops an offensive skill set game when, quite frankly, you can go after a Miles Turner. You can go after a Mitchell Robinson. Hell, you can even resign to a short-term deal. I mean, come on now. Let's make – I'll stick it with Vooch if we got to go, 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 go against Rudy. And that's saying a lot because I've been on Vooch all, all season long. So – Come on, come on, Bulls. Work with me. I have faith in you. I know you're going to do your thing, but work with me. Work with me. Bring someone that actually fits the memo of what you're really trying to exploit out of this franchise, man. I'm glad you bring up, I'm glad you bring up um Vucevic, but as well as Mitchell Robinson. That's that's definitely a guy who also mm. been linked to the Bulls as well. Uh we've heard a lot of chatter about that also. But it's a report indicating that Vooch is looking. And his reps are looking to sign an extension with the Bulls and that he really wants to maintain um, his real estate here in Chicago. Do you think that these rumors surrounding Gobert to the Bulls are smoke or is that it's a lot of truth to it? Do you Which, which one do you guys think? Is it smoke or is it true? And if so, is it smoke because the Bulls might be trying to get uh, might be trying to get a deal done with Vucevic. It's a lot. It's been a lot of smoke with the Bulls and free agency, man. Like from with Zach, you know, we 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 got reports out here saying that Zach gonna go to the Lakers, Zach gonna go to the Mavs. But then about a week or two ago, they said things are looking good and that he's more than likely gonna resign as a Bull as long as they pull up with the Brinks truck. What you got? <laughs> I know Josh saying this smoke. Puff <laughs> puff passing this mother. Like that's what we do. That's what I feel like they're doing. <laughs> all of this, because come on now. One only reason why I one of the main reasons why I say that is because the bulls move in silence like G's like lasagna. That's what they do. Like they have a history of this. We pulled Vucevic from Frit from the trade deadline, and we didn't know one, we did not even know that there was even discussions even taking place. Like the way the Bulls maneuver and handle their business outside of Lonzo Ball, of course, because that was just the big one that's been happening for years. Like the, the Bulls like to do their due diligence and, and they do it on the hush, on the, on the down low. And then when it's time to strike, they make the noise when they strike. I just don't see, since there's so much talk about Rudy, I think Utah is trying to put it out there like, yo, we want him gone. We don't want him here. And we had, they might have had discussions with, you know, the Bulls about look, looking into what that looks like. And, they, and there could sure be some interest from the Bulls' side because of all the things we mentioned. But it doesn't mean that they're going to pull the trigger. That's what the Bulls do. They're just good at doing their due diligence in every scenario possible to see what they can strike at. But it doesn't mean they're going to actually fulfill it. And because of that, 
I think you I think that relationship is so severed in Utah now between Rudy Gobert and the Jazz that the Jazz are using the Bulls as the scapegoat to say, hey, we're trying to get this dude out of here. Like this is what we want. So because of that, let it be known. Although he may not go to the Bulls, and I believe I saw a report recently today from Casey Johnson saying that, you know, the reports of the Bulls actually going through with this are kind of overrated or over-exaggerated. Um, I just think that at the end of the day, you know, when you want something done, you want to get your point across, you'll find a way to get that point across. And we, we see that through agencies, and we see that through front offices a lot. So... I think this is just smoke and mirrors for the Utah Jazz to say, hey, you know, we, we, this guy's available. You may not want to talk about it now, but, you know, he's available. And there's interest there. So maybe they can use that as a leeway to help gauge, gauge more interest from other teams. While the Bulls may be maintaining to what they want to do. Although they're looking at other options to upgrade at that set of position. If they can't do that, our tourist Cornelius has already made it known that he wants to sign and keep that core together, which includes Vucevic. So it doesn't surprise me that he, they're having discussions about a contract extension potentially. Um, it's just, you know, everybody's playing PR at this point. And, you know, we all know how PR goes. You, you, you write it to, to make it go your way. If it doesn't go your way, you ain't doing a good job as a PR specialist. So, you know, that's, that's what they do. That's just what it is. It's, they're just doing PR. And I'm just enjoying my fake blunt here to make sure that the Bulls do what they're supposed to do because <laughs> – that's all smoke and mirrors to me, baby. They just <laughs> passing around here, man. Well, Atlanta's been linked to Gobert, too, as we know. So, you know, the Bulls not the lone team to, to be linked to the services of Rudy Gobert. But I, I want to ask y'all a question with this Kyrie report. Now, they saying if he does test the open market that the Knicks and the Lakers are, um, are interested. Do you guys really believe that the Lakers have enough assets to get Kyrie Irving out of Brooklyn? And if so, do you guys really believe that a reunion between Bron and Kyrie can work out in Tinseltown? I start and ask you with the, I ask you that question, Chris, before we move on. In terms of what the Nets would demand back, it's it's difficult to say because the Lakers did this before when they got, um, why am I blanking now? Um, when they gave up Lonzo and Randall and Brandon Ingram in that trade to, with sorry, for New Orleans. Hey, Anthony Anthony yeah. Now it resulted in a championship, albeit a championship in the topsy-turvy season, but it resulted in a championship. So I think the Lakers have seen this before and they're willing to do what it takes again. But if I was the Nets, if for no other reason, I would demand the moon. Now, the, pro the problem is that they need to get Kyrie out to give themselves some sort of a, of a balance uh, because he has, like, like the reports are saying that they're pretty much, the ties are severed and they, they need to move Kyrie. So the Lakers have the, the Lakers have the hammer in that. So they could, they don't have to necessarily eat anything that, Brooklyn throws at them because Brooklyn's the one under the cosh. In that sense, I think that it could work for the Lakers because they wouldn't have to give up all that much, maybe some draft picks. And when you're a championship team, draft picks don't necessarily matter. However, even with the young players that they have on the roster that have, that are starting to mature, Taylor Horton Tucker, Malik Monk, who played brilliantly last season, they need more guys who are going to fill the void when LeBron, when AD, if they do bring in Kyrie, when those older players either move to other teams or when they decide to hang it up. They need to build a foundation. They have to have that one eye on the future now. If they don't, that's bad That's bad business. Kyrie and LeBron getting back together, though? Um, I don't think Kyrie has – Kyrie's not focused on necessarily winning as his only uh, means to, to life. And that's not the bad thing. That's not a bad thing. But in terms of NBA play, you got to be completely focused on winning the championship. If he had been completely focused on winning the championship, he would have been able to study and ask enough questions to get a vaccine earlier than he did. Um, he would have been able to play decidedly better down the stretch of the season and in the playoffs than he did. And so, you know, I don't think it's necessarily something that Braun could even like get him and talk him, talk him down and have what the, what the people call a come to Jesus moment 
to focus for one or, or you know two or even one season, I don't know if it would work because Kyrie is his own man for better or for worse. And the Lakers need somebody who's going to fall in and not just necessarily do what LeBron wants them to do, but just come in, add to the add to what they have, and get them back to a place of prominence. I don't think the Lakers are it in in any in any respect, and I don't think just bringing in another big name is going to help them out. Uh, so that's why I wouldn't do that deal for for either of their sakes, for the Lakers, for LeBron's, or for Kyrie's. Either way, I tell you one thing, man. Both of those teams, in my opinion, in the East and West, respectively, they're under the most pressure this offseason to make sure that they do all in their power to try and get over the hump and at least get to a final. Because if they don't, with Durant potentially having his deal come up, I think he has a player option or soon or whatever like that. And then with LeBron, of course, those guys could be seeking to get up out of there. So you you never know. Uh, and that's why as, as teams in the NBA, you always got to keep your your opportunities and your options open. And if you got draft capital, you can make a lot happen. But moving on, we got a big-time game in the WNBA tonight. Got Ooh. the top two teams, in my opinion. You could say two out of the top three, depending on how you look at it. But the top two teams that will look to meet up next month for the WNBA's Commissioner Cup, they're going to face off tonight out in Las Vegas. The defending champion, Chicago Sky, going up against the red-hot Las Vegas Aces, who have won 13 out of their first 15 games to start the season under first-year head coach Becky Hammond and forward Asia Wilson. All-Star has been posting 28.3 points and eight rebounds on over 60% shooting from the field over her last three games. Scott coming to this one looking to avenge a very tough loss that I got a chance to catch on TV the other day on Sunday um, to kickstart their three-game road trip is they fell 89-87 against the Indiana Fever out in Indiana without Candace Parker who missed her second straight game due to nursing a knee injury um, last Sunday. You can catch tonight's game, by the way, at 9 p.m. Central Time on CBS Sports Network. Last time these two teams met um, here in Chicago on Memorial Day weekend, I know you was in the building, Chris, as well as Joshua, uh, for that. The sky fell behind early. And, you know, they tried to make a rally late, but they couldn't contain the likes of Wilson as well as Kelsey Plum, who was getting off, um, hitting step-back threes, making it rain. Is the Aces were able to pull it out with an 83 to 76 win? Um, I believe that was on the Saturday before Memorial Day, Memorial Day weekend. What must the Sky seek to do tonight in order to secure a big time road victory against the hottest team in the W right now with Aja Wilson, who's looking like the MVP of the league? What the Sky have been able to do this season that they haven't been able to do in previous seasons is uh, everybody focuses on their points in the paint. Uh, their points, their increased shooting from two-point range as opposed to three-point range, where in the past they were a heavier three-point shooting team. But what they've been able to do defensively, very specifically, is keep teams off of the free throw line. The Sky are the tops in the league at um, free throw attempts allowed, if not top, if not the best, uh, at least top three. And Las Vegas was one of the few teams that they did allow to, sh to shoot a high, a high number of free throws. And that's Las Vegas' bread and butter. So you're you're bringing one team's strength against another team's strength, you know, the, the prototypical offense, defense. But that's what they have been able to do to a lot of teams this year where they weren't able to do that in the past. Uh, that is in large part to Emma Mieseman coming in, who is putting together a fantastic defensive season. Kalia Copper is working uh, fully integrated into the team offense and defense. And Dana Evans, who... Uh, James K and I, my co-host on the Skyhook, who I, I had some doubts about her ability to play defense just through size, is an absolute bulldog when she comes in with the second unit. And that's not to speak about Azrae Stevens and the help defense that she plays. Getting Candace Parker back for this game is paramount too, because Candace, uh, even as a, a veteran as she is, still plays good help defense, especially in the second half. So the Sky have to maintain what they've been able to do uh, to teams and keep them off of the free throw line, and then really increase their three-point um, three percentage, with they, which they have done in the, over the past few games. They started out the season shooting really poorly from three-point range outside of Candace and Dana. But Allie Quigley's found her shot. 
Kalia Copper was Eastern Conference Player of the Week this past week, and I think hit 63% from three. And she's top three in the league of, of players in three-point percentage who are averaging more than three attempts per game. And I think one of the only people above her um, is Kelsey Plum. So, so if the Sky can hit their shots from three and keep Las Vegas off the free throw line, which is a difficult task for any team, they have a good shot at winning this game. Yeah, shout out to Kalia Cobb for winning Eastern Conference Player of the Week honors. Uh, she's definitely been big time. I, I saw the game a couple weeks ago against Atlanta where Atlanta was playing them real tight and close out on the road, and she hit some big-time catch-and-shoot threes, courtesy of Courtney Vandersloot, you know, who's been, as we know, the true consummate floor general, if not the best floor general in the WNBA over the last several years to a decade now. Uh, what's your thoughts on the nice game, Josh? What you what you looking forward to? What you think this guy got to do, man, to pull it out and uh, get back on the winning track? They just need to handle the blows because the Ve- the Vegas Aces are a team that can go on runs, and when they go on runs, they go hard. They hit you hard. They got the scoring, obviously, at Kelsey Plum we mentioned, but that backboard that backboard duo with Chelsea Gray, you got two those two together. They they they, they it's like. Bucket, it's season. It's bucket after bucket. Every every possession from them, and that offense flows through them when they when Agent Wilson is not going. So to be able to have those things, uh, those those three at, on the court at the same time, you just got to handle the runs. Because when and as long as you can maintain those runs, you know I think the sky will be fine. But also within those runs, this is a coaching battle too, because Becky Hammond made some significant changes and adjustments in that first game that threw the sky off guard and 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 they, and it opened up the floor for Asia to not to, to dominate and flourish in the paint but also created a lot of space for Kelsey Plum to go off the way that she did against the sky if the if Becky Hammond Hall of Fame coach you know she she has that repertoire and she has respect to that team she know and they respond to what she demands so to be able to go against uh, go against someone like that although James Wade most props to him, you know, championship coach. That's a that's that's another whole other beast on the other side. We were talking about playing being a, <laughs> as an assistant coach against one arguably one of the greatest coaches of all time in Greg Popovich for numerous of years and bringing that schematic scheme to the WNBA. That's a whole other beast. So I think if don't they just need to maintain the blows because the Aces are so good that if you don't know how to just stay solid as they go through the runs and then build on that to at least give yourself a chance to make your own run, you're going to lose touch on that game. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to see what the Sky do. Hopefully, you know, they get off to a much better start because I feel like that was really the thing that's held them back the previous out in these two teams played. And this, to me, is going to be a nice measuring stick game for the Sky. Granted, we know that they're one of the top teams. They got a 10-5 record. I believe they won five out of their last seven games, if I'm not mistaken. So they, they've been rather red hot as of late. Uh, to, to me, this, this is going to be a big-time game. And, and you know there's going to be a game that they're going to use for film breakdown when they meet up for the Commissioner's Cup, you know, next month, uh, which I believe will be in July 26th. So the, they gonna, they gonna, these two teams are going to be seeing one another quite a bit. And this game might be a potential playoff preview. So you never know. This is definitely going to be a big-time game tonight. So – uh, make sure you got your eyes on it. But I want to move on to the big three, you know, that went down this past weekend. It's set to be in town yet once again for the second weekend in a row at the Credit Union One Arena on the campus of UIC. Josh, I heard you was there, man. I, I, I saw, you know, some of the action on CBS and The Zone. Uh, Glenn Rice Jr., Glenn Rice's son, was getting down with power. Iso Joe was, you know, doing his thing for triplets. What caught your eye out there, man? Beasley, Michael Beasley came out the gate swinging. And I was like, okay, Michael, okay, Beasley. He's making his plan to go back, uh, to go eventually make his way back to the professional realms. But he did sign that contract, a multi-million dollar contract to go overseas play for the uh play in China. So mm-hmm. um we're glad to see him get back on their feet. But any any type of scenario with the big three, it's always a story about how uh current professional players or former professional players that are not in the NBA, you know, get being able to be on that platform to showcase their talents in this realm. Um, it's always a testament to see and always a story, a great story to look at and tell, especially for guys like ISO Joe, for guys like Michael Beasley, for guys like Josh Powell, 
Frank Sessions, things of those and, and players of those calibers, and to be coached by goats, goats in the game, legends in the game. Rick Barry coaching this season. You uh, yeah. you know, you got Nancy Lieberman coming back with Lisa Lisa Leslie, coach of the years of the in the league. Big Oak, you got Charles Oakley, you know, mm-hmm. the, Rick Mahorn and those guys. Like these guys that have this history to bring that knowledge and talent to those guys. Um, this go around, it's it was a pretty special, it's always a pretty special uh, thing to watch and pay attention to. But each year, each season gets better. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do next week. Um, I'm, I'm planning to be there, so we'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, it's, it, was, it was a great experience overall, very family friendly. You know, and it was, a, it, was a, it was a pretty good turnout, especially considering that it was Father's Day on the Sunday that I went. Um, it was okay. a pretty good turnout um, with the with the, the kids and the and the families together like that. So, but the, it's always a good time check, checking out the big three. Yeah, I see my guy Gerald Green was out there too, fresh off of a G League championship with the Rio Grande Valley uh, Vipers, and he was doing his thing too for a guy that you know said he was retired. It was working on the Rockets uh, coaching staff within the player development department, you know, not too long ago. So I, that was positive to see. And I, and I like that. One thing I do like about the big three is giving guys a second chance, you know, to, to get in front of those bright lights and play again. Because as we all know, a lot of guys, when they retire from the league, they have basketball withdrawals. A lot of guys don't know what to do without the game. And, um, you know, that, that's something that's real cool and, and special to watch. And just to let you guys know, if you can't catch it up close in person this weekend, you can make sure to check that out on CBS. And The Zone, they got you covered. The Zone streaming game left and right. You know, big three action and coverage there. Um, You know, so it, it should be fun. I, I wanted to get out to it myself, but I got caught up with my pops out in the burbs uh, on Sunday. So I definitely might try to get out there this weekend myself. If I do, Josh, I definitely let you know. But uh, with all that said, man, as you see our names underneath our faces, you can follow Chris Pennant at his Twitter name right there. I'm going to let you say what it is. I don't want to butcher it. That's that's Quandary Kitten, kids. That's K-W-A-N-D-A-R-Y Kitten on Twitter. Check me out as always. Um, If somebody said that, uh, it's like I checked your Twitter out but it was like a sports sports and also more sports. So you're going to have to deal with that. But also talking about the bicycle crisis in Chicago, the cycling crisis in Chicago right now. Um, socialism, we got to deal with it. And, you know, other stuff that might not be sports. So just check it out. For sure. And make sure to check out his podcast with James K, the Skyhook podcast, where they got you all covered on all the news surrounding the defending world champion Chicago Sky. Josh, man, let them know where to follow you. I know you got in the scope. You know, that's available on all podcast platforms. I know you're doing your thing with your blog. Let them know, man, what you got coming up. Y'all, just follow the Twitter and the IG, Josh M. Hicks Media. Find all, all my latest content. You know, got some things coming up. Uh, can't really speak on it too much right now because, uh, you know, I'm still getting some things solidified. But, you know, I got some things that I'm working on. Um, and I'm probably going to do a show tomorrow, too regarding the bulls and the draft night uh see how things see what the bulls do and give a reaction uh piece on that as well so uh, be on the lookout for that and just follow all my stuff um through my so through my social media and my my, my new website uh joshuamhicks.com yeah i saw that man salute to you on that make sure to follow us uh on twitter instagram as well war media you know be sure to subscribe underneath the link on the youtube page as well where you'll be able to catch us all live as we go live um, at all times we're gonna have a big time show tomorrow night probably gonna be talking about some big time stuff going down in the nba draft with our man joshua buckhalter as well as um stephen gardner you know you can catch his work at stay true s.3 uh drew i know doing big things it, it looked what drew did um on twitter you know i see he uh i heard he about he, Supposed to be covering the Bulls draft or whatever with the bigs. So that's dope. Want to salute our guy on that. Um, you can always follow me at what Gabe said um, on Twitter. I'm always talking sports, basketball, pop coach, entertainment, whatever, you know, trending. I'm trying to be part of it, ignite a conversation uh, so we can all have it and talk on it. That's how we grow. That's how we learn. 
That's how we get better. That's how we evolve. Um, but make sure to check us out tomorrow night, seven o'clock. Uh, Cal Means, you can follow him on It Means Matters. You know, that's our guy. He make things happen. Check out his work at NBC Sports Chicago. We got a lot of stuff going on. Got a lot of stuff going on. And just because the season's over don't mean the conversation stop. Um, this your man Gabriel Wilkins signing off. And I'm going to do it like Cal do it. Keep bouncing. Keep hooping. Keep living. Keep thriving. Keep flourishing. And we out of here. Peace.